Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. All right, we're starting a new series today called Simple Words That Have the Power to Change Your Life. I told a friend about this series and he said, this is the series he's been waiting for. Simple words that have the power to change your wife. Uh, (laughs) I was meeting someone in downtown Pleasanton recently uh, at a time when parking can be kind of a hassle. Uh, A guy got into his car, and so I pulled up behind him, waiting to parallel park into his space. But he just sat there in the car. Uh, The engine was running. I knew he was going to leave, but he was just, uh, you know, adjusting his mirrors and looking at his phone and touching the screen on his dashboard. And like the thought occurred to me, this guy is deliberately making me wait for this parking space. And so I decided that I would get out of my car and go check in with him and just let him know like, hey man, I know exactly what you're doing. I mean, I wasn't happy with this guy and what he was doing. And so I walked up to his car window and he rolled down the window and looked at me and said, Pastor Matt. (laughs) I said, yes, I just wanted to say, God bless you. I'm in no hurry at all. You know, take all the time you need. Have you ever had that happen where you're waiting for a space and you just feel kind of like someone is not making space for you? Uh, I'm not making this up. Uh, In the Journal of Applied Social Psychology, someone who has studied hundreds of drivers found we actually take longer to leave a parking space if we know someone is waiting for it than we would if no one was waiting for it at all. There's something perverse inside of us that says, this is my space. We'll make ourselves wait longer to leave just to keep someone else from getting it. And if they're in a a desperate hurry, you know, picking up kids or late for an appointment and they give a little honk on the horn, we make them wait four times longer. This is such a common human instinct, it has its own name, territorialism. It also happens in other arenas. If, if you're at a restaurant, the longer the line of people waiting for a table, the more crowded the restaurant, the longer people linger at their table. Like my space, I don't wanna make space for you. I think nowhere is this a bigger problem than when it comes to making space for God in our lives. There's this weird, perverse little thing inside of us. You know, even if we don't plan it, even if it's not deliberate, it's like, uh, I have so much going on. There's so much happening. I'm jealously guarding the contours and the boundaries of my life so much that I don't have time to just immerse my mind in God's word. I don't have time uh, to pray at a real deep level. I don't have time to examine the condition of my character or uh, put in the kind of time that's needed to develop a spiritual friendship or to, to serve or to give or to volunteer. Well, we're starting this series today. Simple words. Everyone's in a hurry. So each week, we're just gonna focus on one simple word. And I believe if you focus on that one word that week, 
God really will use that word to change your life. All right, so we start today with the word no. No, 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 no! No! No. No. No! No? No. 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 No is such an important word. I mean, it can liberate you. It can set you free. It can help you set boundaries. There was a time in your life when you loved this word. Uh, it was a time when you were about two years old. I mean, you said this word recreationally, joyfully. You know, clean your room, no. Eat your vegetables, no. Share your toys, no. And then over time, you learned that people like you better when you say yes rather than no. And we learned over time to say yes in ways that have created enormous problems for us. We say yes to bosses. We say yes to schedules and yes to meetings and yes to obligations and yes to burdens and yes to stuff uh, we're gonna buy that we don't really need and yes to people uh, we barely know that we don't even like. And then eventually our lives are crammed full. Uh, they're decent, respectable, exhausting, fatiguing, resentment-filled, godless little lives. What we need is this word no. Shauna Nyquist is an author who writes about this, and this is part of what she writes. And so if you, like me, have said too many yeses and found that all that hopeful, exciting, wide-open intention has actually left you scraped raw and empty, the word that can change everything is no. I know, I don't like it either. Yes is fun and sparkly and printed on tote bags. No? What if you saw someone wearing a sweatshirt that just said no? I don't wanna sit next to that bundle of fun. But no became the scalpel I wielded as I remade my life. I believe today God wants to give you a scalpel to remake your life, to make space for God, because God generally won't force his way into your life. You know, the Bible, among other things, is a book filled with amazing no's, wonderful no's, glorious no's. There was a man named Joseph who had a lot of reason to have a lot of self-pity and to think he deserved to have something good happen in his life. He was invited into a relationship that would provide a little momentary happiness, but he knew that it would mess up his life. And he knew his identity and he knew his mission. So he said, no. There are a few young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their lives uh, took a turn for the worse. There was a lot of disappointment. They're invited to worship an idol. I mean, we're all invited to worship idols but they know their identity and they know their mission. So they said no. One of the great stories involves a leader, a man named Nehemiah, and he was uh, in Jerusalem helping to rebuild this great city of God. And I'll give you a little clue. If you're trying to do something great for God, I mean, it doesn't have to look big. It could be just uh, trying to parent a child. It could be being a volunteer. If you're ever trying to do something great for God, there will be forces that just try to distract you, try to pull you away from who God wants you to be and what God wants you to do. 
With Nehemiah, it's people who just ask him to come meet with them. They just want to interrupt him. It seems like a reasonable request. Uh, most of us would probably say, yeah, sure. This is what Nehemiah says. This first sentence is so great. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. You might want to write those words down. Just provide, these, these, these words provide so much clarity. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And then Nehemiah says, four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. No, 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 no. And now here's the principle that's involved. If you're clear on your identity and you're clear on your mission, you will get clear on when to say no. But you have to know who you are and what you're called to do. That's when no can be the scalpel you can wield uh, to remake your life. The problem with my life is it's just crammed so full of stuff and burdens and obligations and then uh, resentment and busyness and hurry that there's no space for God. There's no space just to be alive. You see, no is this wonderful gift. And the reason to say no to lesser good is so that you can say yes to a greater good. This is why we love the word yes and we'll look at the word yes next week. God has a great yes for you. And you were born to say yes to God. But we're not going to start there. See, because I know when life is so crammed full of so, uh, so many things that weighed us down and are, we're so burdened by, then to talk about adding any kind of spiritual activity just feels like one more item on a to-do list that's already crushing me. We really have to start by emptying ourselves and freeing ourselves up. And the good news is, there's a man who lived on this earth who mastered the art of no. He said the most powerful and creative no's that have ever been said. And his name is Jesus. I mean, his ministry, interestingly enough, doesn't start out with a great yes. It starts out with three great no's. So what I want to do in the time that's left in this message is walk us through these temptations of Jesus and then what these temptations look like for you and for me. And then we'll look at how Jesus said no to each of these temptations. And we'll, le we'll learn a little practice with each one so that we can actually uh, begin to practice these and embed these into our own lives. And you might pick out one practice that we talk about today and incorporate that into your life between now and the end of this five-week series. All right, here we go. Jesus had just been baptized. He uh, just heard his identity affirmed by his father. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Now, it is written, of course, in the Bible. He quotes the Bible all throughout the story. 
There's a really important context to this bread alone statement. Uh, it was written in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses is with Israel at the end of his life, reviewing what God had done for them. And he says to the Israelites, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, Israel had been taught that man lives by bread alone. Israel was coming up out of Egypt where they had uh, been in slavery. It was, I was just reading a, a really interesting Old Testament theologian who noted when they were in Egypt, their job was to build storehouses to store grain for bread. They were taught in Egypt, you can't trust there will be enough. You have to have more and more and more. They were taught in Egypt, it's okay to enslave, to oppress human beings, to cause them to live miserable uh, lives so that people who have power can have more. God leads them into the wilderness to teach them this uh, spiritual and economic lesson that, would, uh, that they would need to uh, learn to uh, grow real deep. And that is, no, I will provide for you, God says. I want you to trust me. And the, rabbi used, the rabbis used to say that no one could receive the Torah, the word of God, who had not received manna, the care of God, the love of God. So here's the first temptation. You are what you have. The world will try to convince you. You are what you have. You should live by bread alone. Now, when the writers of scripture talk about bread, they're not talking about the stuff that we make toast out of. Uh, bread is a symbol for life at the level of uh, the acquisition of material goods. Define yourself by the stuff you have. You should never have an appetite that doesn't get satisfied. Your identity is built on having nice stuff, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a lot of money, nice clothes. And you will no doubt hear that voice. A friend told me a story about he and his wife, uh, about how early in their marriage, they didn't have a lot of money. And his wife's temptation was to spend uh, too much money on really nice clothes. And he was a CPA and he paid the bills, so that was a problem. So they had a conversation. He said, honey, this is a temptation. You must say no to it. And she agreed. But the next month when he was paying the bills, he noticed that she had bought another way too expensive dress. And so they had a little come to Jesus meeting. And my friend said to his wife, I thought we agreed you weren't gonna do this anymore. She said, I know, but I was at the store and I tried the dress on and I looked in the mirror in the fitting room and I heard this voice that said, wow, that looks fabulous on you. You must own this. And my friend said, honey, I thought we agreed together that you were gonna say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> she said, I did, and he did. And he said, it looks pretty good from back there too. <laughs> you will hear that little voice, whatever that item it is, whatever uh, bread alone looks like for you. A great theologian, Miroslav Wolf, uh, in his book, Flourishing, about the need for faith in human life, this is what he writes. When we live by bread alone, there is never enough bread. Not enough even when we make so much of it that some of it rots away. When we live by bread alone, we always want more and better bread. This is what our world will tell you. 
you are what you have. So if you don't have much, you're not much. And we hear that voice all the time, every day, and it's tempting to believe that it's true. So that's the first temptation. Now the first practice is do without some stuff. Do without some stuff. Maybe you've tried this before. Uh, maybe you've, for you it sounds kind of strange. You know, the old biblical word for it is the word fast. Actually, ancient people from a lot of different religions practiced this because they understood the value of it. To fast means I temporar temporarily refrain from consuming what I ordinarily consume. I temporarily refrain from consuming deliberately what I ordinarily consume in order to make space for God, in order to find out what happens to my life when I'm not gratifying myself with all this stuff on a regular basis. I don't really know how dependent I am on it, what it does to me until I close myself off from it for a little while. Let me share a couple things about what fasting is not from a biblical perspective. Fasting is not a way to try to manipulate God into giving you what you really, really want. Like, I really, really want something, but I'm afraid God might not take me seriously, so I'll fast as a way to say, you know, God, please, please, please give me what I want. God's not that kind of a person. Fasting is also not the same thing as dieting. There is no how to look good naked fast in the Bible. Dieting may be a good thing, but fasting is not about trying to get my body to look better. When I fast, I'm dealing with my life as a person with appetites. See, when you came into this world, you were a little bundle of appetites. It's almost all you were at first. That's why kids often love this character from Sesame Street. Do you, name, do you know the name of this guy? Cookie! Cookie Monster. What's Cookie Monster's philosophy of life? See cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. There are really smart people staying up late at night trying to convince you that you are nothing more than Cookie Monster. There are people teaching at major research universities I mean, this is essentially one of the primary claims of modernity. The universe is a machine and you are a bundle of appetites. Just try to satisfy them without hurting someone else. And that's life. And Jesus says, no, you are an unceasing spiritual being. You are a, a glorious moral agent. And part of the, the nobility of you is that you do not have to uh, be captive to your appetites. You were not made to gratify them. And a life with some ungratified appetites is in fact not a, a tragedy. It has meaning and it has goodness and it has love. You see, when I fast, I learn, I teach my body it's possible to have an unsatisfied appetite and still survive. And what, a, what an amazing thing that is. Eventually, I might learn that it's possible to have an unsatisfied appetite and thrive. And that would be even more amazing. So you might try fasting from food. And if you've never done that before, you might want to just skip one meal. Just skip dinner. Like, so don't eat dinner and then uh, eat the next morning. You know, this is a little embarrassing because I've taught on this stuff for a lot of years, but it never actually occurred to me until this message that we get the word breakfast from we are breaking the fast. 
You probably knew that already. I'm the only one who doesn't know that. Um, that's where actually the word breakfast comes from. Or you might want to make it longer. You might want to make it a 24-hour fast. And then I find out a little bit more about what role food plays in me. I'm reminded how dependent I am on God. You know, this idea, I'm Superman, I'm in control. Well, when I fast, I realize what a slender thread my life actually hangs by. So you might try fasting from food. Or you might want to fast from shopping. Maybe spending is part of what has a hold on you. And so you want to learn, how can I learn to thrive when I'm not gratifying the, the appetite to buy more stuff? Maybe it's a, an electronic fast. You know, there are people who work really hard uh, to get you to be more addicted and attached to a device. And as a result of that, the average person now looks at their phone a hundred times a day. I mean, what would my life be like if I trained myself to turn my mind and my body toward God a hundred times a day? All right, so the first temptation is to believe you are what you have. And the practice is do without. And we'll look at the second temptation in just a moment. Words have power. I was thinking about this as Matt was telling me about this sermon series, and I was thinking about how we see that words have power in the movies and the films we consume. Certain words just mean something when placed within a movie context. If you're a Harry Potter fan, the word always means something. And if you've seen the recent Bullet Train movie, which honestly has become one of my obsessions, the word diesel means something. In books or poems, words highlight a duality of meaning. Think Raven for Edgar Allan Poe or Precious in the Lord of the Rings books. These words hold weight. And when you're a part of the in-group that understand the nuance of these single words, you understand what they mean. They're not merely words. They come to represent thoughts and feelings, adventures and moments of pain. The single word takes on a life of their own. And we know that this is true outside of the arts. When I was a water polo player in college, my coach used to use single words to call out plays when we were on offense or in a man-up situation. These words, they directed us, they guided us, they told us how to handle a moment. These words let us thrive, and the right pattern and use of these words let us win games. But when we missed a word, or when we mishandled a word, well, we failed. And that's kind of the problem we find here in this sermon. Some of us know the word no. We hear God saying no, and yet we miss it. We mishandle or we dismiss the no. As Matt's been giving us the first way that Jesus used no, as he's been encouraging us to, like Jesus, use no and do without some of the stuff, my mind can't help but think about the reality of using a no. Jesus had to give something up when he used the word no. In this last instance, he gave up material goods, and Matt is going to talk about how he gives up potential authority and glory. Jesus knew that the plan God set before him was the best, and so saying the no was easy, but sometimes it's hard for us to do the same. See, we know that God wants us to say no, but the no means we get less. Less stuff, less power, less prominence, just less. There were times in my water polo career when my coach would yell at the word to signal a play, and all I could think was, really? That's the one you want us to go with? 
I would think, Curtis, my coach, you're not in the pool. You're not playing. How can you possibly know that this is what we should do? But we were a team sport, uh, and it's hard to stage a mutiny when you're playing, so I followed the word. And because Curtis held a bigger vision, because he was outside of the pool and could see more and had a bigger strategy brain than I did his calls, the words he used were right. I would say that they were always right, but that hurts my ego, so he was mostly right. What Matt is exploring and the way we see Jesus say no may be challenging us right now. We may be saying to ourselves like I did in that pool, yeah, I see why you would want me to say no, God, but you aren't in it. You aren't playing my game. You aren't working with my boss or living with my spouse or putting up with my kids. So I'll let no be for the person sitting next to me. What we're saying is that we aren't willing to shift or potentially give up whatever we deem important when God prompts us to say no. And if that's you, if this first no from Jesus is prompting some defensiveness, well, then I encourage you to sit with the Spirit. For all of us this week, I would encourage you both to find a no that is easy to answer, but also to find a no that is difficult. And when the no that is difficult becomes clear, I encourage you to spend some time thinking about why it's difficult. And then spend some time with God working through that no. I already have my two. And if I were honest, I would say I have two no's that I really need to sit with. And this week, I'm going to engage with those no's, even when that comes with a sacrifice or something I thought was important. God wants fullness and wholeness for us. And listening and responding to the no refocuses us on God. The no is part of our formation. And when you need a break, go see Bullet Train. Matt's going to cover two more no's that Jesus said. Listen in and find how you're going to respond to the no's, even if that no means you have to sit a little with God this week. Let's rejoin Matt. All right, so the first temptation is to believe you are what you have, and the practice is do without. The second temptation is this. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the idea here is, Jesus, you could have the most impressive resume anyone has ever had. You have such amazing powers, you could use them to do what no one else has ever done. So the temptation is, you are what you do. Worship your work. Sacrifice your life and your heart and your soul and your family on the altar of achievement. The first temptation is, you are what you have. The second is, you are what you do. And if you don't do much, well, then you're not much. And man, do we hear that one a lot in the Bay Area. So the practice around this second temptation is do less. Now, in the Bible, to do without is called fasting. To do less is called Sabbath. Just regularly have a period of time where you're not working. You're not creating value. You're not being important. You're not carrying the world around on your shoulders. You're just alive like a, a little child just enjoying God, just feeding on his word. 
Dallas Willard has written a lot about fasting and he says it's feasting on the word of God. You're just saying no. You get to say no to the insanity of a frenzied world around us. I think it's kind of significant that in the New Yorker, uh, they have these great cartoons. The most famous cartoon in the history of the New Yorker is this one. A businessman is saying on the phone, no, Thursday's out, how about never? Is never good for you? <laughs> it's really interesting with Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, he goes into the wilderness driven by the Spirit for 40 days. He doesn't give a talk, he doesn't draw a crowd, he doesn't recruit a team, he doesn't train a disciple, he doesn't write a book, he doesn't heal a disease, he does nothing because nothing is really important to do for people who are doing a lot, for people who are tempted to think you are what you do. Maybe for you, the next five weeks, you need to have a day every week where you don't do anything significant, where you don't do anything important, where you just be. A friend of mine who's very successful in his work told me about a time when he went on a hike with his young son. Uh, it was on a rocky, steep incline. It was kind of tough for his young son, but uh, his son wanted to lead and he wanted his dad to be behind him. He wanted his dad to follow him, but my friend couldn't do it. His son was so little and the climb was so tough. His legs were so much longer and he was in such a hurry, like for no reason at all. It was just a habit for him to go fast. I mean, he would keep getting in front of his son and his son would keep calling him back. Finally, his son stopped him and looked him in the eye and he said, Dad, if you're gonna follow me, you have to stay behind me. <laughs> and here's the thing about Jesus. If you wanna follow him, you have to stay behind him. He goes off into the wilderness for 40 days and he does nothing. He goes off when it's dark to a quiet place and he does nothing. He goes off to a mountaintop where it's beautiful and he does nothing. He goes into a garden when life is really difficult and the pressure is great and he does nothing. The temptation is, I am what I do. The practice is, do less. It's the Sabbath. All right, one last temptation. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. So the devil is quoting the Bible. Did you know that the devil can quote the Bible? He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all, his, all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I wonder what that means, an opportune time. Now, this temptation is, you know, Jesus. I mean, you could do something so spectacular that everyone would go, wow. I mean, you could be the golden boy. You could make everyone applaud you. So this temptation is, you are what people think you are. See, that's the voice of our world. You are what you have, you are what you do. You are what people think you are. Be spectacular, please people. Get people to approve of you because if they disapprove of you, I mean, oh, how awful would that be? 
I mean, it would be terrible if someone might not think as highly of me as I, they ought to think of me. It becomes this kind of addiction. It becomes this kind of slavery. Now think about Jesus, the sinless son of God. Who in his life did he not disappoint? I mean, it's amazing when you go through it. The crowd said to him, we want you to be our king because man, you would defeat all of our enemies. He said, no, he disappointed them. The religious leaders, the Pharisees said, uh, you're not living up to our standards of righteousness. You're hanging out with the wrong people. Stop doing that. He said, no, he disappointed them. His mom and his brothers came to him and said, you're acting crazy. You need to come home and stop all this insanity. He said, no. He disappointed them. Herod said to him, do a miraculous sign so I can be wowed. He said, no, he disappointed Herod. James and John said, let us sit one on your right and one on your left. He said, no, he disappointed them. He disappointed everyone in his life except his father. The practice around this one is do without human approval. Let someone be disappointed in you and be okay with that. Say no to something you need to say no to that you ought to say no to. Then when someone is not happy, just be okay with that. Don't try to change their mind. Don't try to make sure your reputation is built up in them. Because you are not what you have. You are not what you do. You are not what people think you are. Here's your identity. You are a child of God. Jesus had to say no uh, throughout his whole life. It wasn't just in the beginning. Like over and over and over, right up to the very end when Jesus was hanging on a cross, you may know this story, the crowd is crying out, you saved others, save yourself, come down from the cross. Jesus in his death says one last great no. But that no became God's yes to the human race. The cross, which looks like the triumph of no, actually becomes God's yes of forgiveness and grace and life and love to the human race. And that's what we're gonna talk about next week. I mean, next week, we're going to look at one of the greatest statements in the Bible about God's yes and about your yes to God. You're not gonna to wanna to miss that. But this week, the start of this series is about no. This week, you're gonna to have to say no. And the world is gonna make it hard. I mean, they're gonna pressure you, you know, do too much, buy too much, commit to too much. But that word no, that will free you. No will allow you to make space for God when your life is crammed so full of stuff and burdens and obligations. No could be a wonderful gift. So let's use that this week. Okay, let me pray for you. God, I pray that you would help us to use this simple word no this week in, in areas where uh, we will uh, hopefully find freedom. Maybe we will set appropriate boundaries in our lives. Uh, God, would you help us to use this word to uh, make space for you so that our lives are not so crammed full of stuff, but we can actually uh, be in your presence so that we could actually be in your word so that we could uh, be in prayer and we can do the things that will give us life and, and joy and meaning and purpose. 
God, would you direct us by your spirit in the moments where we actually need to use this word? And I pray that it would change us, that it would uh, shape us in ways that you want us to be shaped uh, for uh, your purposes and for your glory and for your kingdom and to live the kind of lives that you want us to live. God, help us to do that. So we pray that uh, we would be sensitive to the leadings of your Holy Spirit and that um, we would find that we're able to use this word in meaningful ways this week and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.